0: Today we'll be talking about this week's conversation with John Kay and Mervyn King on radical uncertainty. And the main idea of their book was that many economists and other researchers, they're using these theoretical models with a degree of precision that is not warranted. And the first uh, point that I wanted to make in reaction to this was that I agree with their overall argument that pretending to have more precision than you really have is a problem. And based on my, you know, limited knowledge about empirical research, um, I did undergrad in econ, but I'm not, you know, a PhD. It definitely seems like economists and others are making way more precise claims uh, in their research paper uh, than they should. But the question I had was, how much confidence do you need in your precision? Um, You know, Russ brought up that example of how there are people making these specific uh, numerical forecasts about the COVID pandemic, and then the guests respond by saying, "Yeah, that's a bad idea." And and then he talked about um, this other research out there, and this other research kind of just gave the general shape of the pandemic. You know, according to this research, it says that the pandemic starts out slow, and then it can like have a sudden spike, and then after that, there can be like two to three uh, more spikes, uh, and so on. And the guest was saying that's like that's a really useful model. Uh, but my question is. You know, if you're skeptical about that, you know, specific number forecast, the 550, 280, 287 deaths forecast, you know, why do you feel confident enough in this alternative model that is uh, only outlining the general shape of the pandemic? I get that this alternative shape model research is not claiming to be as precise as a specific number, but at the same time, it's still claiming some degree of precision. And so what is fundamentally different about the, about their confidence of the degree of precision in that shape model as opposed to a specific forecast. And if the only difference between the two is just that, um, that the shape model is not claiming the same degree of precision, um, what principle or rule do we have that can tell us whether something is claiming an appropriate degree of precision? How do we know whether someone is being overconfident in their, um, in their precision claims? Another way of saying it is, As a relatively uninformed outsider, why couldn't I just make the same argument about their about their models that they like uh, that they make about the specific forecast numbers or the research that they're um, uh, uh, criticizing? Now, I'm not saying that there isn't some fundamental difference. Um, I'm just asking what that difference is between these two uh, types of research other than the degree of precision that's being claimed. Okay, um, the second point I wanted to bring up was uh, just about uh, economists and the profession in general. And, um, you know, how is it that it's gone on like this? So let's just say for the sake of argument that r- what Russ and the guests are saying is, is right, that economists have been ridiculously overconfident um, about their precision with their empirical research. And if they're right, then that's a pretty big deal. Uh, that'd be a pretty big error uh, coming from the profession. And my question would be is if economists have been making these terrible scientific blunders for over 50 years, how have they gotten away with it for so long? Um, like if it's gone on for over 50 years and it still hasn't been corrected and doesn't seem to be being corrected, uh, anytime soon, except for, except for we hear it from econ talk and from a few, uh, other minority voices, it seems. um, it almost seems like there's something wrong, uh, at the institutional level. And, uh, maybe, maybe Russ or the guests or maybe other economists would say that, you know, academics will argue that the way that this gets corrected is that they'll argue with each other. They'll have rigorous debates and that'll provide the correction. Um, and maybe that's true, but again, it's been over 50 years. So it seems like that, uh, little, maybe somewhat hard to believe that's going to happen. Um, to me, this is, uh, I'll give my opinion on perhaps why, is ha- why economists have been getting away with this for so long, is that uh, assuming that Russ is right and that, um, that there's just this overconfidence in empirical research, um, I think the root of the problem is when economists are giving their advice about what policies the government should pursue, they don't really have any personal skin in the game. So if they give the wrong advice, the wrong policy advice, they don't really get punished for it. And there are a few reasons for that. I'll just go i just throw those out there real quick. I think one is that the policy themselves, uh, when they implement those policies, it doesn't really affect the economists personally. Like it doesn't affect their money, like their income or whatever, or their job or anything like that. Two, uh nobody can really pinpoint the cause and effect of any particular policy. So like with a stimulus package even after they implement it, they spend a trillion dollars or whatever. Nobody really knows the exact effect and whether that, what exactly it did to the, the economy. And so, uh, the economist who gave the advice can always argue his or her, her way out of it or come up with an alternative story or claim that it really had a huge effect, whatever. um, and then also the policymakers who are getting the advice from the economists, I'm not sure how much skin in the game they have themselves. And that, that brings up a whole other issue that I won't get into now. But I, the point is that there are lots of reasons for why economists, um, they give this advice, but they don't really get the feedback from implementing their advice. Um, and so without that uh, reliable feedback mechanism in the profession, it's hard for them uh, to really know whether on the, they're on the right track or not. And uh, it's hard for them to get corrected when, they're way, when uh, their advice is off. Uh, so I think that um, that institutional arrangement is somewhat worrisome. And, uh, you know, the fact that we have regulators taking advice from these experts who have no skin in the game, uh, you know, I think that's something that should be cause of concern for people. And again, this works for both sides. Like, uh, Milton Friedman, um, he was an economist giving advice to regulators, and Larry Summers, who's on the other side of the spectrum, he was giving advice too. And they're both, neither one of them really had skin in the game. Um, so, uh, anyway, I guess so. I, what I'm saying, I'm not saying we should ignore economists. I just think we should definitely listen to them. And like I've, I personally feel like I've turned, I've learned a ton from them. Uh, but I think you just always have to be super skeptical and realize what they're saying hasn't really gone through the rigor of having this uh, physical feedback, this um, uh, this, this check, this physical check in the real world on their advice. So um, I don't know the solution to that problem necessarily, but uh, I think that kind of gets closer to the root problem of why economists have been... Uh, Claiming this I've overconf- been getting away with claiming this uh, overconfidence for so long. Okay, so those are the two big points I was going to talk about. Uh, I just had a couple more small little nitpicky things I wanted to bring up. Uh, one was when Russ talked about the sunk cost fallacy. And uh, he said, "Why should why should economists have to debate with people to do something that should already be in their self-interest? And I don't think that's a very good counterpoint to the uh, validity of the self sunk cost fallacy, because we do things like this all the time where, um, like we tell people to eat fruits and vegetables, to stop smoking, to be nice on Twitter. Um, there are lots of people, lots of things that people do. That's probably not in their self interest that they do anyway. And we, we preach them to act otherwise. Uh, and I think sunk cost fallacy falls into that. Um, I believe in the sunk cost fallacy. I think like is good thing that economists say, uh, The Kind of the the standard story about it, I think, is right. And um, on on that episode where they talked about this with that that guest, I I forget who she was. He mentioned it in the episode. But uh, she made a point at the end about using uh, your gym membership, the sunk cost of paying for your gym membership, as a motivation to going to the gym. And Russ really likes that for some reason. And I don't like it. Um, I understand you're you're using this fallacy, this fallacious reasoning to motivate yourself to do something good. Um, I don't like that because if you're gonna use that sort of fallacious reasoning to motivate yourself to do something good, how are you gonna stop yourself from using that same mode of fallacious reasoning um, when you uh, wanna do something bad? So if you're tempted to do something bad, you can invoke the sunk cost fallacy again and is like that'll push you over the edge, in the bad direction. So uh, I think it's better to not rely on fallacious reasoning to get yourself to do good things, because that same reasoning can be used to do bad things too. Okay. So anyway, that was just a little personal uh, thing I wanted to get off my chest. Um, that's all I'm going to say for this week. Uh, so if you're in our Pod Talk, if you, if you haven't gotten the Pod Talk app or or whatever. Like, I, I'm really curious what people think about this. If you think it's really stupid and a waste of time, like, just tell me, because <laughs> it takes you know a few hours to put this together. And um, if you're not really getting anything out of it, or if you have any suggestions for feed uh, for how to improve it, make it more useful, um, open to that too. So I'd love to hear from you. You can we got I think I got the, the Twitter uh, link in the show notes and the Pod Talk link in the show notes. And maybe I'll put my email address in there too. But please, please get back to me. Hopefully talk to you next week.